hello and welcome to episode 159 of All Booked Up, the Buffalo and Erie County Public Library's podcast about books, movies, and all things pop culture. I am your host, Michelle Snyder. And I am Jacob Marico. We are here. We shine another day. I'm super tired today. How do I look? Do I look, you look, do fan- I look beat? You look fantastic as always. And I am trying to pick up the slack for you because I'm, I'm dancing this morning. Michelle. I don't well, know you why always, I'm getting the, getting the vibe up here. You always look good. It's this song, man. I'm telling you. You know what's bringing me down? It's the... Oh, while million, I, there's a million reasons. It, that's pretty much it. I'm sad to have to wear masks again. Yeah. I get it. I get it. I'm just bummed out that this is where we're at we gotta we're not working it. well as a team no come on guys we, we got to figure this out here this is getting a little getting it's a little getting annoying a little, at it's this a point. little silly it's a little silly um but yeah just the news in general is super rough lots of global warming and climate change and then of course we're never going to stop talking about public health and infectious diseases nope. and this is the world we live in now there's a lot of planetary science but it's with these ding dong billionaires like going into space for like five minutes Boy, like that, why you, you want to talk about a great way to spend your money huh am i right five minutes up in space for, i just why are we doing that again why is then, that a thing and then people are getting on his wife for giving all the money to charity and not really keeping any of or his ex-wife so go go figure on that one which one? Mackenzie Bezos. Oh. She's I mean, there's so many people in space. I, I don't, I got to know which person. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> which, no. But Jeff which Bezos. Which ding dong is going to space? Jeff Bezos, a.k.a. the worst person or one of the worst people in the world. Okay, correct. Uh, is the one who's just wasting money on nonsense. And his and wife he, is giving it to charity. When he said that whole thing, like, thanks to all my employees and people oh. who buy stuff because you paid for this trip. Oh, you jerk. That was painful. That was painful. But... I mean, all of these things are science-based, and I feel like it starts to make science look so depressing Mm -hmm. because everything we hear is negative. And I feel like science in general kind of brings different pictures to people's minds. You're like, oh, it was like a giant textbook in high school that I probably hated. Yep, hated it. Couldn't stand it. Or you think of really starchy things like white lab coats and microscopes. um, Beakers. People pouring liquids into beakers. Always beakers. Do like the word beaker. (laughs) Like... Einstein equations just scribbled on chalkboards that are like three miles long or something like that. Matt Damon walking in and just answer and doing math on boards and figuring stuff out. At least there's like naturalists and rainforests. That's a nice one. Yeah, that's a good, that's a or, fun science. Or people making dinosaurs, the, you know, the, those the things. The fern gully arts as we call them. <laughs> and I, all those things definitely reflect some aspect of science, but none of them provides a full picture because science has many facets and not only is it useful, yo, It can be exciting. It can be. It can totally be exciting. Science is cool, man. Firstly, it helps us understand the world around us. Everything we know about the universe, from how trees reproduce to what an atom is made up of, all of this is the result of scientific research and experiment, and human progress throughout history has largely rested on the advances in science. Oh, I mean, if you look back, at, it's embarrassing looking back at human history, some of the stuff people used to believe. Like, yeah, compared to when they didn't, because they didn't know any better, but... Looking back? Well, look... Jacob, I mean, as bad as it is today, and I know. It's, it's pretty bad. We've, we've it's learned a lot. It's a lot worse. But, you know, there's a lot of really exciting science books coming out. And like I said, it's not this stuffy things that you were kind of forced to learn, but they're things that are fascinating that you want to learn. So today 
we're going to take the the negative science in mm -hmm. the news and we're going to start talking Get about the interesting science and we're going to recommend some new books that came out in 2021 that are science-based. Don't turn the channel yet. Nope. They're going to Don't be interesting, it. I promise. We, we would not pick the stuffy science boring books, guys. We're picking the fun ones. I mean, I don't know what Jacob picked, so well, I'm, I'm going to wash my gonna, hands of that. They're going to be Jacob fun. Um, There's but no tomes in there, that's for sure. Before we get to that, we do have a quick guest spot on today. We were, um, we've been lucky enough to have a couple guests from the Buffalo Creative Mornings in the past, and I do hope that everybody has been virtually checking out these events because mm -hmm. they've been pretty cool. Um Again, the concept of Buffalo Creating Mornings is simple. It was like breakfast, a short talk, one Friday a month, and that every event is free of charge and open to the public. So our guest today is Katie Krozak. Katie is the CEO and founding partner of 19 Ideas, which is her local full-service strategic marketing agency, which is located on the west side of Buffalo. This is her first time returning to Creative Mornings Buffalo since 2019, and she is rejoining the conversation on August 13th. Again, this is going to be virtual. You can tune in. If you go to creativemornings.com and you search Buffalo, you're going to see the past talks and then the upcoming talks. And yeah, you can sign up to join in next week. So let's just have a little check-in uh, with Katie. Let's do it. Hello, Katie. Hi, guys. How are you? Very good. Thank you so much for joining us. It is sort of early in the morning, so we always appreciate that. Yeah, yeah we feel bad for making you guys get up so early when it's before the workday's even begun. All good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit about 19 Ideas? Yeah, so we um, actually right now we have 19 employees, not by design, um, but we have been around for 10 years. We're a full service marketing agency, as you said. Um, and what that means is we really can do it all in house. We have developers, designers, PR professionals, digital marketers. Um, pretty much everyone in between. Um, and we work with clients throughout Western New York and beyond. And like I said, I've been in business for 10 years and I run the company with my husband and partner, Dan Giganti. Wow. That sounds really nice. That's pretty cool, man. And you guys are doing fine with that. You are like, yeah, this works for us. <laughs> This works. And honestly, this, I, you know, if you had said to me 10 years ago that you'd have a 20 person agency, I'd be like, you're out of your mind. So it was never part of the plan. So um, I have just been happily along for life's ride and uh, for all of its twists and turns. I'm, I'm lucky to have my husband uh, be on that ride with me, but it's been a lot of fun. What inspired you to do this? Well, <laughs> Like all things in life, you know, people aren't usually inspired to make radical changes unless they have to. <laughs> and so um, I, <laughs> I was in a job that I really didn't like, and I'm sort of saying that mildly and was really looking at what was next for me. And my husband is an entrepreneur through and through. He um, He's had several companies under his belt. He's also a um, a partner at 26 shirts as well. So he was on his own and I was really inspired by that. Never thought I would ever go into business for myself. But again, when faced with, do I stay in this job that was really problematic for me? Um, or do I make the leap? And I made the leap and the net appeared, the proverbial net appeared. And so. are you a good boss to yourself? <laughs> 
Excellent question. Oh, I love that question. Um, do you know what? I will be totally honest. I'm a much better boss to everyone else but myself. I do not take my own advice. <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> that sounds like, like people um, in general. Yeah. Um, where can your work be found? Um, we, you mean in, in terms of uh, online, like our website is 19ideas.com. Um, we work with a, a bunch of um, uh, companies locally, certainly. Uh, well Now Urgent Care is is probably one of the most well-known um, that people might might recognize around town. Uh, we also work with Duval College, uh, which is very exciting. Um, we work with Ingersoll Rand, uh, a couple of international companies, Boyden and, and Ingersoll Rand. Um, and we work with uh, just a bunch of others. The Museum of Science is a client of ours. Um, Mental Health Advocates of Western New York is a client of ours. We work on their Just Tell One campaign. Um, we really run the gamut with our client range and, and we like it that way. It keeps us fresh. Nice. And um, is that what you're talking about on Creative Mornings? Are you kind of explaining what you do to people? No. So um, actually what I want to talk about on Creative Mornings is, uh, so <clears throat> I actually for let's see, in like 2016, 2017, started really thinking about um, as 19 Ideas was continuing to grow, particularly in 2017, you know, we thought about like where and how are we going to expand um, our office space. And Dan and I got married in 2017 in Ireland. So we were traveling a lot overseas um, to Ireland, of course, but also to the UK. And I was just really inspired by our time over there. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever traveled overseas, but for me, I just really come alive when I travel. And yeah, absolutely. Oh, gosh, I was just, you know, it was so wonderful for so many reasons. And I just sort of felt like, how can I bottle this energy and tap into it on a more regular day to day basis? Because going over once a year, even as lucky as we were to do that, was just not enough. It felt unfair in a way. And I think a lot of that was when you're when you're traveling someplace new, there's often it's a, it's a sensory experience, a full sensory experience where you're you're inspired by the things that you're seeing and smelling and tasting and all these things. And so I just thought, you know, when, when it came time to expand our office, you know, a lot of what I was already thinking about prior to the expansion was employee well-being. I'm a huge advocate for mental and emotional health. It's something that I work on um, a lot for myself and I prioritize for myself. And I often think about how, you know, we work in such a stressful environment and work in general is challenging, I think, no matter who you are, or what job you have. But in an agency in a setting, it's notoriously stressful and very deadline driven. And you're always expected to juggle a lot. And, you know, I was really feeling the pressure of that. And a lot of what I kept thinking was, you know, I own the place and I'm feeling <laughs> I'm, I don't want to be here. <laughs> So, yeah, like how must anyone else feel? And we're supposed to be creative people and we're supposed to just turn it on. And if you're not feeling it, you can't tap into those parts of yourself. So anyway, um, with all that said, I just, I really 
we did a whole expansion project. Um, we're located at the Essex Arts Center, which is um, owned by the Griffiths family, uh, who also has a Griffith Sculpture Park. So it's an artist community that we're already part of, and we're very close to the Five Points neighborhood. So there's a lot of inspiration around the neighborhood as well. And we did a complete renovation um, and expansion into our first floor. But it was designed to really not feel like an office. And it's really, if you look at pictures online, people can go on either 19ideas.com or any of our social media pages, you can see some photos. And I invite anyone to come in and see the place because I'm so proud of what um, we created. And I worked with Michael P from Room. And I think we really um, took our team by surprise. We, we kept it a surprise. Uh, it was under wraps and when we unveiled it, I think they were shocked. I think they were expecting more office space, but instead we leaned into like a park theme with what we're calling houses, which are like little breakout areas. Uh, we really leaned into kind of bringing the outdoors in. So it's filled with greenery and um, like cherry trees and that sort of thing. And just again, wanted to inspire people and really think about how, how and what does it mean to come to work in 2021, especially as we're looking at, you know, lens through a pandemic and hopefully soon post pandemic world. And how are you going to entice people to come to an office or collaborate with a team? Um, so anyway, so this was a lot of what I was thinking. And we actually, interestingly enough, had finished the project. It was set to be unveiled March 20th of last year. Wow. And we went remote on the 13th. So it of sat course. vacant for a while, but now we're back in and people are loving it. Okay. I mean, that sounds beautiful and wonderful. That's really exciting. I'm excited to tune in on August 13th and hear more about it. Thank you. Again, yes. that, that's my neighborhood. So I'm happy to see anything going up around. That's going to be interesting to do. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I love that neighborhood. And we thought about being downtown, but honestly, the West Side feels like home, you know? Oh, yeah. I, I understand that completely. Oh, yeah. I lived there for 10 years and then everybody decided to swarm it and it got too expensive and they kicked me out of my own neighborhood. But anyway, <laughs> since we are a library podcast, we always have to ask, is there anything that you can recommend listeners? Is there anything that you've read or watched lately? Yeah. Okay. So um, <laughs> I revisited The Sopranos and I have a book for any Sopranos lovers oh. that um, want to either just read the book or what I would recommend is rewatch it and read the book as you go along. Um, it's called The Soprano Sessions. And it was, um, it's written by a TV critic named Alan Seppenwalt, who I read a lot of Alan's work. He'll of course review a lot of the hot TV series out there. Um, he's an awesome writer. He used to work for um, the New Jersey Star Ledger, which is Tony Soprano's newspaper. Oh, and um, he he actually wrote this book, co-wrote it with a guy who was in his scene at the Star Ledger before he got there. And it's an awesome book. They go um, episode by episode and it just takes you so much deeper. They do a great job going really deep into kind of like 
um, just the writing and the, just people that know, you know, film and, and oh, sure. even just costuming and that sort of thing that help tell the story. So I really feel like you get a deeper look. But then the cool thing is, um, and I'm not going to give any spoilers, they interview David Chase at the end. And I'm just going to say that I think he addresses that last scene. Of the uh, I'm glad somebody does. It's a, you know what? <laughs> It's a perfect time too because the movie's coming out next month. So, like, you need what to, really? Yeah, the Soprano movie comes out next month. Uh, to how many. are they gonna have a movie without James Gandolfini? It's uh, his son is playing, it's like the young Tony Soprano. So, like, when yeah. he's first getting started, oh. it's called uh, the, the Many Saints of Newark, it comes out uh, next month. It looks oh, really, man, looks been, really good, I've actually. Been slacking. Oh, yeah, Jacob, man. that is a hot tip. I knew that movie was coming, but I didn't know it was next month. That's uh -huh. awesome. Oh, yeah, it's going to be uh, theaters and HBO Max. I feel eventually we will have a podcast episode about that because we both um, enjoy The Sopranos yeah, very go, much. Go check it out, guys. It looks like it's going to be pretty awesome, I got to um, say. Katie, this was really great. I'm sorry it has to, you know, kind of be short, but we really appreciate you coming on. And I think Heck that yeah. a lot of people are going to tune in to hear more. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Thank Thanks you for coming much. on. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Okay, so that was really nice. Fun. Thanks, Katie. Yeah, so everybody go check that out. It sounds like a pretty awesome little event there. Yeah, August 13th. Okay, now let's get into our science books. The first one I want to talk about is called The Code Breaker. Jennifer Doudna, Gene Editing, and the Future of the Human Race by Walter Isaacson. You might know him. He's the best-selling of author of the Leonardo da Vinci book and the Steve Jobs books. Okay, so this is like a little long, but bear with me. So when Jennifer Doudna was in sixth grade, she came home one day, she found her dad left her a paperback titled The D Double Helix on her bed. Sounds which, like a fun guy. Yeah, I guess she thought it was actually like going to be like a crime mystery book. But anyway, she got really into it. She sped through the pages. She became super enthralled by the really intense drama behind the competition to discover the code of life. Okay. Um, and even though her high school counselor told her girls did not become scientists which you're bad at your job um <laughs> what are you doing there dame put down put down those beakers we got nothing to talk about yeah here. exactly but she decided she would so she was driven by this passion to understand how nature works and to turn discoveries in, into inventions so she and her collaborators they turned this curiosity of nature into an invention that is going to transform the human race oh boy this is a little risque it is an easy to use tool that can edit DNA. So it's nope. known as the CRISPR. It's like C-R-I-S-P-R. Wait, they call it the CRISPR? I know. To change your DNA. Got to work, workshop <laughs> that name, people. Got to workshop that name. But this opened up this brave new world of medical miracles and moral questions. So the development of the CRISPR and the race to create vaccines for coronavirus will really hasten our transition into the next great innovation kind of revolution. Like this past half century has been the digital age. Right, like based on the microchip and the computer and the internet, but now it seems that we're entering this life science revolution, Ugh. and that maybe like, I don't know, we're preparing our kids to to use more of that skill. Like it's like less hacking powers um, and making power. This is how mutants happen, by the way. This is the MCU is about to come to well, life in like hundred years. So can we use our new? Let's even call them evolution mm. hacking powers to make us less susceptible to viruses. And mm. what if you can like prevent depression? Well, I mean, if you can start altering DNA and genes, you can do well, anything you want, really. If parents can afford it, do you let them enhance the height? or muscles or IQ of their children. 
Like this is real. So let me, I'm going to move away from the book for a second to talk about a real life situation that happened. So in early November, November, I said November. We're working. It's right after Smarch. Oh, Smarch. So in early November of 2018, twin girls, Lula and Nana, were delivered by cesarean section in a Chinese hospital. Their birth maybe would have gone unnoticed except for one factor they are the world's first gene edited babies oh, so boy. as a chinese scientist his name is he jianqu he edited their embryos in an effort to protect them from being infected with the hiv virus which was a chance for them um he used the crispr but when this came out this announcement of like designer babies it was really met with horror and outrage, um, and particularly from the science community. So he lost his job, and he was actually sentenced to three years in prison. Vaguely rightly so. <sighs> but so th- this potential and far-reaching consequences of this gene editing technology, those are the themes that are running through uh Walter Isaacson's new book and about Dunda after Discover the CRISPR, she became a leader in kind of wrestling with these moral ideas. And she won the Nobel Prize in 2020, but now she's like, I think I, I did good, right? Like, Have- we can eliminate diseases and all these terrible things, but the story is really about you know, this profound effect this could have on nature and the origin of life and the future of our species. If you are not excited by this book, were you listening? (laughs) I mean, it's a situation where I feel like none of these scientists have ever watched the movie Jurassic Park at all. They literally (laughs) literally talk about, there's a line in there where he's like, they they were too busy to think if they could. They yeah, stop to think if they should. They should, yeah. should. Should you start creating devices to edit know, the but, human genome? No, probably not. But, but if you could see that something was going to go wrong and someone was going to come out with these issues, some, something is going to go wrong. <laughs> I know, but I think like, it's easy to say when it's not you or your family yeah, that's I'm, having this. It's really tough. I mean, I'm probably a person who's like, burn this machine. Exactly. I, I I'm usually with you on lean that. towards that, but it's very, very fascinating. It's so cool, and in like 200 years, it's going to be a really, it's going to be a pretty awesome story about what's going down. We will, unfortunately, probably, unless they figure this out soon, won't be here to see it, but that could be, it's interesting to know, see what it's going to do in the future, it man. It seems to be moving right along. But so that is a, a good one, so definitely check out uh, the code breaker jacob what do you got for us all right so my book choice my first one here is called a thousand brains a new theory of intelligence by jeff hawkins it sounds like something you'd like you got a big old thousand brains in there i do i do (laughs) they're bouncing around fighting with each other all the time (laughs) so the author um uh mr hawkins there he's actually the inventor of the palm pilot so, oh, okay. You know, this guy's that got some big thing. got some cred to him. Uh, he after he invented the Palm Pilot and made a bunch of money, he turned to neuroscience and founded the uh, what's that thing? Uh, Redwood Center for Theoretical Neuroscience, where he is the head of another group called the Numenta Group, which is basically what his book is about. So, what this group became famous for is they discovered that the human brain does not figure things out like linearly like we believed. What it does is it actually creates a map-like structure and builds a model of our of the world in our own brain. Whoa. So it's not just one straight idea on something. We build like an entire architecture about every single thing that we learn. Um, so it's like hundreds of thousands of models are created in your brain for your brain to be able to wrap its head around reality in the world. Uh, it 
for everything, every single thing has these models that is just built up. So it's not, it's really like one of those super complicated things to decide. Yeah. So what it has done is it answers some questions that people had about how we perceive the world. Why, what do we put this extra thought into stuff? What is like, what goes into how we see and believe in everything that we're seeing? And now we have an idea of how it's actually built. It's kind of, it's like a computer program. It's like it starts with one basic code yeah. and then every second goes off. It's just kind of built off and branched. And then you got like Nexus events to use some Loki lines to um, bring it from. I don't watch Loki, but um, go on. <laughs> but it basically answers the question of how you perceive the world and how humans were able to create high level thought, which okay. is like a lot where science ideas were going. And it also is going to be a key in how we can utilize that going forward to kind of expand our knowledge base train your brain to be better if you can make these models bigger more grand See, and i like this so. is a better idea of training your brain to be better instead of having science fix your brain in vitro to be better oh absolutely maybe like, i can support that more it's more like exercise at that point you can focus sure. it get it figured out it's a really cool idea, and like anytime you're trying to figure out what's going on in the human brain, because goodness knows we can't figure it out half the time. Especially I, your brain, Jacob. Good luck, man. It's like a <laughs> bunch of it's like trying to um, wrangle cats if you're trying to do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, that it sounds like a really cool idea by a guy. It seems like he's got some cred, so go check that one out. Okay, um, I have a couple nature ones. So the first one is called "Under a White Sky: The Nature of the Future." This is by Elizabeth Colbert. She is the the Pulitzer Prize winning author of the book The Sixth Extinction. That was a really huge title and this returns to humanity's transformative impact on the environment. And the question that's being asked in this book is after doing so much damage, can we change nature this time to save it? So in this book, Elizabeth Colbert, she's taking a hard look at the new world that we are creating but along the way, she's meeting these biologists who are trying to do all these amazing things like preserve the world's rarest fish, which lives in a single tiny pool in oh. the middle of the Mojave. Um, engineers who are turning carbon emissions to stone in Iceland. Oh. I know, right? And Australian researchers who are trying to develop a super coral that can survive on a hotter globe. Um, physicists who are contemplating shooting tiny diamonds into the stratosphere to cool the earth. Wow. So really, like, really wild, interesting things. And in her last book, In the si Sixth Extinction, she explored the ways in which our capacity for destruction has really reshaped the natural world. Yeah. And now she's examining how these very sorts of interventions that have imperiled our planet are increasingly seen as the only hope for its salvation. So it's a book that is inspiring and totally terrifying and somehow darkly comic, but an utterly original examination of the challenges that we absolutely do face. I love the way that we like infinity symboled our way back into using our destruction to try to save ourselves. I to mean, lead kind to our of. destruction to save <laughs> That's ourselves. What we're doing. It's like, oh, don't even tell me McConaughey was right that everything's just a flat circle and coming back on each other. That's I mean, maybe, but people are at least, you know, working cool on things. Some cool ideas, man. Shooting diamonds into the uh, the atmosphere to like cool it down. Yeah, and, can you even imagine? It's literally gonna be like that Beatles song, man, with the what was it named Lucy in the Sky? She'd be hanging out there with diamonds. <laughs> 
You got it. That is exactly what they were singing about. People always misinterpret that song. It was about cooling the atmosphere. That's what it was, man. (laughs) Beatles, ahead of their time. (laughs) You're not seeing the monkeys putting out that kind of work. (laughs) You're the dumbest. (laughs) What else do you have for us? All right, so the next one I got is called Einstein's Fridge, How the Difference Between Hot and Cold Explains the Universe by Paul Sen. What? So this, what? I didn't have no idea what that could be about. So this idea kind of caught me as a fan of Dark Souls because it's kind of the idea behind that game that uh, basically all of human history, all of the world, all the natural order is basically can be explained if you understand hot and cold and thermodynamics because it pretty much changed the entire universe. Huh. So if you think about it, one way to look at this is if there was no, before heat, there was cold and there was nothingness. But okay. all of a sudden, then fire appeared out of nowhere, out of nowhere, out of somewhere from science. Sure. Once you get, <laughs> you said fire appeared out of nowhere from science. Yeah, from I'm like from from science. You're obviously very scientific. No, Go I on. Haven't, I haven't read the book yet, so I don't really get that. <laughs> sure. Um. So um. So then, once you get fire, that's when you get disparity. So that's when you get life, death, hot, cold. Yeah. Function, not function, and then through the last two hundred years, this book goes over how people finally learned to start harnessing that. And the way it's like changed everything. The you can explain the behavior of living cells if you look through heat and cold, because you know it needs heat to live, so it's always trying to increase its own structure, oh, its own heat, so it can go greater. Yeah. Um. That's how cells like reproduce a lot of the time is in warm. That's how life itself happened, because it was in that like soupy primordial oh, yeah. ooze. Actually. That is excellent. Um, but they also, like not only the behavior of civic cells, but it also covers like how black holes work. Um, the way that the heat that the black hole cause can sucks in all gravity and pushes stuff to the other side. There's been some awesome revelations about black holes lately. I don't know if you've been paying attention. Oh, yeah. I'm um, so scared slash obsessed with black holes. <laughs> um, even military-wise, like, you know, if your soldiers are cold, if they're warm, it depends. It changes how they're able to fight. It can change the course of history. Obviously, steam and stuff were the uh, way that they started making transportation throughout the world and around the universe is basically how we're doing it. So it's basically just how if you can understand hot, cold, thermodynamic kind of stuff, you can pretty much figure out and explain the whole world and lead into our future. Dang. All comes from Einstein's brain originally. I love that it's called Einstein's Fridge so much. Solid, solid title for Thank the name you. of a book. Yeah, or, yeah, man. I'll go check this one out and find out like, you know, what's next to the bologna and the mustard and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. I have a book. Oh, good. Shape. The Hidden Geometry of Information, Biology, Strategy, Democracy, and Everything Else by Jordan Ellenberg. Okay, he's got a, he's going for a wide berth there, I see. Oh, yeah. So, like, this intro here is how should a democracy choose its representatives? Mm. How can you stop a pandemic from sweeping the world? Mm. How do computers learn to play Go? And why is learning Go so much easier for them than learning to read a sentence? Hmm, okay. Can ancient Greek proportions predict the stock market? Okay. I mean, no, it can't. But what should your kids learn in school if they really want to learn to think? All of these questions are about geometry, Hmm. for real. So if you're like a lot of people, I think geometry is very sterile and dimly remembered exercise. Some, you, some people will call it boring. Yeah, that you gladly left behind um, in the dust of ninth grade. What, what did I learn, 90 and 45? Those are the, that's what I learned in geometry. I mean, pretty much. If That's just it. If you have any recall 
Um, it's just plotting through a series mm-hmm. of minuscule steps to prove facts about triangles that seemed really the, obvious yeah. just from looking at them. Yeah, a thing that you didn't actually need to prove to know that it's true. Yeah. Geometry. Is geometry, but it's really only a tiny part of it. And the book Shape reveals the geometry underneath some of the most important scientific, political, and philosophical problems we face. Because geometry asks, where are things? Which things are near each other? How can you get from one thing to another? And, you know, these are really important questions. The Mm. word geometry comes from the Greek for measuring the world. And, you know, he's kind of proving in this book that that's actually an undersell. Geometry doesn't just measure the world. It explains it. And Mm. shape shows us how. Oh, I like that. So they're taking something boring and making it super awesome. And you're doing a great job of selling it because usually I'm like, yeah, I don't know about circles. Not a huge circle <laughs> guy, but Yeah, that's you. We know that we know you're not in love with your your triangles all the way. So it's, this is a perfect book. Triangles for you. or bust, that's where I'm at. So I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm trying to see how that's all going to work out. Do you have another one? I do. We are super out of time. Um, we're, we're always out of time. I'll, I'll go through it quick because I, I don't really need to explain it because you'll, you'll get it right away why I want to recommend this book. Oh, good. So the title of it is Think Again, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know by Adam Grant. Whoa. If there's one thing that I am fully aware of, it is what I do not know. <laughs> so I was like, I saw that. And I'm like, you know what? Sounds like a book for this guy. <laughs> So so what this book is about is it's about unlearning your biases. So the way everybody kind of sees the world is all it's through our own specific lens, even though we think, you know, it's a big problem nowadays where everybody just knows that they're right and they don't want to hear anything separately or anything different than that. What this book kind of does is it tries to teach you how to un like to unlearn your brain about just seeing everything in one point of view and being able to unlock any of the problems or biases you've had through life and to kind of open it up to other points of view and to let yourself see it from somebody else's viewpoint. Okay. I mean, yep. Not only events, but like the way you see buildings, like, you know, just for instance, if you see a building and you're like, well, I don't see the point of that. And I don't know, like, I think it's dumb or whatever. And you look at from a different point of view, like, okay, well, this building actually provides for this thing in the uh, silhouette of the towns or it has these businesses in it. It does that with like politics. It does that with race kind of ideas. It's just it's kind of the idea that just because you know something doesn't mean that you actually know something, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's kind of idea that you might think, you know, but you don't know. I, I mean, I love that. I yeah. don't think I know anything, so that's perfect. I am. The only thing that I know is I don't know anything. I feel like that's a famous quote, but I don't remember by who. So that's why. Of course I, you don't, because you don't know anything. Whoa. <laughs> Have I already read the book? I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, go check it out. Think again. The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know by Adam Grant. It's going to be a good read, everybody. I love that. This one is super awesome. This is a famous author, Michael Pollan. You're going to be like, oh yeah, I know his stuff. And this book is called This Is Your Mind on Plants. Mm, okay. And it kind of goes into, of, of all the things that humans rely on plants for, I mean, we get sustenance, beauty, mm-hmm. medicine, fragrance, flavor, Mis- fiber, it goes on and on. Miscellaneous. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's a good one. Surely the most curious is our use of them to change consciousness. Hmm. So either to stimulate or calm, um, fiddle with or completely alter them, the, the qualities of our mental experience. Like, for example, take coffee and my precious every morning tea that we oh. have here. I mean, people on the world rely on caffeine to sharpen their minds, but we don't 
usually think of caffeine as a drug or, you know, our daily use of it as an addiction because it is legal and mm-hmm. it's socially acceptable. That's true. So then what is a drug and why, for example, is making tea from the leaves of a tea plant acceptable, but making tea from a seed head of an opium poppy a federal crime? You know, so it gets into that. In this mm. book, Pollen dives deep into three plant drugs, opium, caffeine, and mescaline. Okay. And throws the fundamental strangeness and kind of arbitrariness of our thinking about them into sharp relief. Exploring and participating in the cultures that have grown up around these drugs while consuming them, Pollen reckons with the powerful human attraction to psychoactive plants and why we go to such great lengths to seek these shifts in consciousness. Um, And then why do we kind of fence that universal desire with laws and customs and bad feelings about these things? So it's a super unique blend of history, science, and I think, you know, a little bit of memoir of him, uh, some journalism. And he's really just examining these plants from several different angles Mm. and contexts and shines a, a, a fresh light. On a very interesting subject. See, I thought with that third one, you were he, this good author was going to go lazy, and he was just going to bring up marijuana for that, just to like make an easy point. But he went with mescaline. He's that's had a, a book a about, I one. think, microdosing and how that's becoming more popular, and really just altering consciousness and how it's helping people with depression and so many other things. And just that weird line in the sand we draw between yeah. what is acceptable and what is not well i also like the idea put out something new something nobody knows nothing about i don't really know anything about that one i know i know it from a line from the matrix that's basically what i know about mescaline okay so very check that one out actually it's a good good plan anything that involves our entanglement with the natural world i am always super super drawn to (laughs) can't say entanglement every time i hear it i think of that crying will smith (laughs) meme and i feel bad for. oh i have i don't know what that means at all we will talk about it off Uh, off the show and you will chuckle heartily. And then I'm just going to throw out there because I'm really excited about this book. I talked a lot about the book The Hidden Life of Trees. It was my book in 2020 that cured me of all of my 2020 ales. It was amazing. there was a lot of ales. There was a lot of ales. And this book is called Finding the Mother Tree, Discovering the Wisdom of the Forest by Suzanne Simard. Um, She's a real pioneer on the frontier of plant communication and intelligence and I'm really excited. This is her first book, and she's kind of bringing us into her world, which is really just this intimate world of trees um, and learn about how they're complicated and how forests are really social and that trees are cooperative creatures, you know, connected through underground networks. And learning about trees is fascinating. I know that you're going to love this book and pretty much any book on trees. I hear the trees, o- trees, trees. <laughs> I hear the oaks are a little cranky, but the pines Don't. generally pretty cool. Don't you dare! <laughs> Don't you dare make fun of my trees. <laughs> okay, uh, why don't you plug us up? All right. So if you're looking for a place, speaking of trees, if you want to see where all those trees end up, stop by oh, your local so library. <laughs> we have 37 <laughs> branches all over oh here. You throw. I'm, I'm doing some pitching here. Tree murder. 
I didn't say murder. I was going to go with just, repurpose. Just finish. <laughs> so we have 37 branches all over Erie County. Stop on by and see what's going on. Mourn with Michelle. <laughs> uh, we also have a website, so go to www.buffalolib.org to see what we have going on. We're, we're kicking into high gear, everybody. There was Gnome Fest going on. We got a bunch of cool stuff going Gnome on. Gnome Fest was all about the environment, too. Uh-huh. Super, super adorable and catch, wonderful. Catch stuff like that, everybody. And do, don't forget, do bring your masks again. Yes, we do have to. You know, we have the mask mandate back in place, so make sure you try that. And uh, what did else? Did you do our pod? Oh, I did not. I was getting to that next. Thank oh. you. So all follow us on Twitter at All Booked Up Pod and let us know uh, what kind of science books you are into these days. Okay, a couple facts for you. There is enough DNA in the average person's body to stretch from the sun to Pluto mm-hmm. and back 17 times. Nice. Right? We're rocking in that DNA, man. We got to figure out how to put that stuff to use. That is just like, and then I was like, I have all of these numbers explaining that, but you don't need to know that. You can yeah. stretch your DNA to Pluto and back 17 times. I mean, That's a lot you know, of DNA. Once is a That's lot. That's a spicy DNA, uh-huh. <laughs> um, the average human body carries 10 times more bacterial cells than human cells. Oh, awesome. Every awesome. one of us is a walking Petri dish. All of the well, bacteria we've, we've, living... Inside you could fill a half gallon jug, and there are 10 times more bacterial cells in your body than human cells, according to studies at the University of Idaho. Awesome, awesome. That makes me feel great. No, well, sh- washing our hands is really, really doing the job. Well, don't worry, most of these bacteria are actually helpful, and we actually couldn't survive without them. Oh, well, in that case, guys, keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, bacteria. Rocking and in the free world. In an entire lifetime, the average person walks the equivalent of five times around the world. That sounds about right. Isn't that awesome? Because the average moderately active person takes around 7,500 steps a day. And if you maintain that daily average and you live till 80, you will have walked 216,262,500 steps in your lifetime. And if you do that math, that's uh, that's what it equals, five times around the earth, right on the equator. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, that's, Hot little walk right there. Yeah, that's a kind of annoying to know that you <laughs> walked around the world five years and we're still just hanging out where we are most of the time. Five oh. times, Jacob. Five times, that's a lot. All right, thank you so much for joining us and we will catch you next time. Bye.